Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we ask your spirit move among us in this time of worship as we approach your holy word and interpret it through sermon. We ask that your spirit move among us as a body, the body of Christ, that we might have ears to hear and tongues to sing your praises and arms and legs to rise up and do what you call us to do in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A scripture passage comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. Listen for the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with the greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, I got to, <clears throat> came to uh, the eight o'clock worship this morning and the organ didn't work. And uh, so uh, I thought, what else could go wrong? I got to the nine o'clock service and the microphones didn't work. And so I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop here. Uh, but it's okay because this is Michigan and we know how to deal with audibles, right? <laughs> I think that image of being a team, of being a body, of being part of something that holds together in Christ is what we need to focus on 
at, uh, at, at this time, this day and, and uh, every year, because we are the body of Christ and it only works together as we come together and live together. We live in a world that is a challenge for us. Uh, at our session re and trustee retreat yesterday, uh, which by the way was a marvelous time of beginning to get some plans and some vision for the coming year as you welcome in your new pastor. Um, it, it was a time when we could reflect on um, what's going on not only in our church but broadly and how we connect with that. And one of the things we talked about was the culture around us that seems to be less religious than it used to be. Um, and so the question comes for us, how do we connect with those who, when asked, uh, what religion are you, uh, would check the box that says none? How do we talk to the nuns? <laughs> uh, I think that is part of our challenge. What I would say is that it makes us aware that we have to discover our authentic voice to, to build bridges between where we are and where someone else is. To build bridges uh, to find ways to articulate our experience in ways that connect with their experience. Uh, I, um, if I were to engage someone who was perhaps uh, on, uh, on, on, on the, the far side of the spectrum of, of life, I might quote Shakespeare. Because <laughs> part of what speaks to my faith experience is, is uh, Shakespeare's uh, play The Tempest, in, in particular Caliban's speech. Caliban is this, this horrid creature, and yet he says, be not afraid, the isle is full of noises, sounds and sweet airs that give delight and hurt not. Sometimes a thousand twangling instruments will hum about mine ears, and sometimes voices that if I then had waked after long sleep will make me sleep again, and then in dreaming the clouds methought would open and show riches ready to drop upon me, that when I waked I cried to dream again. Shakespeare speaks to my soul of just how the grace of God seems to rain down upon us drop by drop, and to fill our lives with blessings. That's, that's part of my faith experience and that's part of what I might talk with somebody if I were trying to build bridges. If it was somebody on the younger side of things, I'd probably talk about Iron Man. Because <laughs> uh, you see, um, Iron Man uh, is, is one of those characters that, that I think has something to say. He, he's the guy who starts out those 23 movies, those 23 Marvel movies, Iron Man was the first. And it starts out with Tony Stark, a self-indulgent playboy genius who inherits his, inherits his father's weapons company and builds these hyper-destructive weapons and he never thinks a thing about it except for the money. But then one day the weapons get used on him. His enemies capture him and put him in a cave and take out his beating heart and replace it with an electronic one and all of a sudden Tony realizes that he, like the rest of the world, is vulnerable. 
to pain and death and destruction. So Tony builds a new heart and an iron suit, uh, not for the purpose of selling weapons, but to protect himself and to protect his friend in the cave. His friend in the cave doesn't make it, but Tony does. And it's a transformative moment where Tony comes to realize that his calling is not to just take care of himself, but that he can protect others. And so he does all these things to become Iron Man and, and, and discovers as, as he is encouraged to hide his identity and he's up on the podium before all the press and, and uh, they give him a little speech to deny his identity and he says, the truth is, the truth is, I am Iron Man. <laughs> I just go, yes, that's a religious moment for me. <laughs> You see, he's discovered his identity. He's claimed his call. He knows who he is. And that's what so much of the Bible is about in all these stories. I mean, what's the story of Abraham? The story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham's supposed to be an old man who sits in his rocking chair and watches the sun go down on his life because it's all over for him. But when he's 80 years old, God calls to Abraham and Sarah and says, you gotta go on a journey, leave everything you know behind, go on this journey and I will give you offspring like the stars in the heavens. Abraham discovers his call late in life, but it changes the world. Ruth, Ruth is another example. Ruth loses her husband, she loses her sons, and, and her mother-in-law tells her, go back to your family of origin because I got nothing to offer you. I'm sorry. But Ruth says, I'm sticking with you, Naomi. And that loyalty, she discovers is her calling. And the people of Israel are changed because this outsider... This, this person from another country, another culture, another religion, she comes in and she becomes this image of faith for them. Ruth discovers her calling beyond all of her loss. Paul starts out as Saul. He's this guy whose understanding of religion was one that was all about exclusion and, uh, and, and, and judgment and, and if it was destructive, so be it. And he's this horrible human being and, and yet on the road, always on the road, Jesus encounters him and shows him how blind he is. And after three days of recognizing how blind he is, the scales fall from his eyes and he comes to see that a new world is born in Jesus Christ. And so he writes passages like we heard today where he's in a, a, a church, a city, a culture that is at war with each other, all these diverse groups and, and, and they're fighting with each other. And Paul says, in Christ, we're one. For all of our diversity, we're one body. We need each other. Now I ask you, how much does the world need to hear that message today? That we need each other. 
So that's our calling from this story. You can see that kind of calling all over the Bible uh, where God is calling us to come to recognize our vocation, to discover our truest self, our truest self. And, and in that doing, uh, as, as Archbishop Rowan Williams puts it, um, we come to, to recognize that the call of Christ is the call to be what does Irenaeus say? But the glory of God is a human being fully alive. The call to be in all of our uniqueness, our distinctiveness, our strangeness, our wonderfulness. God calls us to be who we are, where we are. And in the midst of that, we discover that we are called to be together and that we only fully come to understand who we are when we're in community, when we're with other people that can give us honest feedback, that, that can support us, that can encourage us, can see good things about us that maybe we can't see about ourselves, but we have each other. And in that body of Christ, we come to experience the fullness of life as we could in no other way. I, I think Irenaeus is right. The glory of God is a human being fully alive, but, but fully alive in Christ as, as we come together to discover who we are and how we can be alive together. John Calvin uh, talked about faith and the faithful people as being teachable. <laughs> um, my pastor used to say, blessed are the teachable. That's what blessed are the make means. <clears throat> because if you look in the story of the Bible, there are all these leaders and we're ordaining and installing and uh, all of these leaders today. And if you look in the Bible, you will see that none of the leaders in the Bible is perfect. They are flawed characters. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Elijah, Peter, Paul, all of them are flawed, but they're teachable. <laughs> uh, I think we need to maybe affirm biblical leadership more clearly. Let's stop expecting our leaders to be perfect. And let's treat our leaders with grace. And as we teach them with grace, then we can treat one another with grace. And then we become the graceful people who are not folks who know it all, including pastors who don't know it all clearly and who are flawed people. But if we're teachable together, then we experience the, the ongoing love of God, the transforming love of God, and how God can work through us. We are the body of Christ, Paul says. And he says we need each other. That's a message for the church. We need you to be in worship, to support one another. Sometimes you come to worship because you feel supported in worship. And sometimes you come to worship because somebody needs you and you don't know exactly who it is and your warm words, your handshake will make a difference in their lives that day or that week. 
or beyond. We are the body of Christ. We need each other. We need each other to support the church together because it only works when we support the church financially and with our, our gifts and, and with the spirit that we have. It strengthens us together. It's, it corrects us together. It gives us direction and inspiration together. It's all about the togetherness. There's people around us, great and small, wise and foolish, loving and not so loving. You never know. But they're going to have something of a blessing to give to you and you to them. Because we need each other. Like a hand needs an arm and a foot needs a leg. And a body needs a heart and a brain and eyes and ears. That's what we are to each other. We need each other. And the world needs us to share that message of togetherness in the love of Jesus Christ. May we recognize who we are and whose we are. And may we live in the fullness of that love that Christ has shown to all of us. Amen.